Hello everyone, Luke Peters here. Don't worry, I still don't deserve a podcast, but I think I deserve to give you a little disclaimer. These episodes were recorded about a year before they're being released, and that is mostly due towards my own imposter syndrome, with a little bit to do with the global pandemic that's going on. Uh, The guests are amazing, the topics are stellar, and so I just knew I had to get them out there. On top of these few episodes that were recorded in 2020, there are new episodes planned. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for new I Don't Deserve a Podcast. I really love the format. I really love chatting with creatives, how they deal with the imposter syndrome. And I can't wait to chat with people about how they're dealing with this pandemic. Um, With all that out of the way, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Luke Peters. You're listening to I Don't Deserve a Podcast. And today we have another amazing episode of the pod. Uh, Our guest today is, and I should have prepped this before, but now here we are. It's all raw. It's all live. Do I deserve a podcast? Probably not. We have an amazing, amazing illustrator, graphic designer, motion graphic artist who's worked with X Space Culture Center, TEDx Ryerson, has gone to school at Ryerson, Glasgow School of Art, and OCAD. Ladies and gentlemen, Anna Kim. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted to have you on because of a few things. One thing, you're working on your thesis right now with OCAD. Mm -hmm. uh, And I wanted to talk to you about kind of the process of of building a thesis and the process of creating art in the city. But also wanted to talk to you about just the imposter syndrome when it comes to someone who is doing lectures, who is still in school, who has that kind of switch and has to kind of walk almost two two roads with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk to you just kind of f- to jump off the top is um, your life before, like your, your schooling, like you've gone to Glasgow, OCAD, Ryerson, like, can you talk to me, like, what was kind of your experience going through all these different schools? Like, how did they all kind of differ? What was the process? Mm-hmm. So I think I have to point out that I come from, like, a pretty strict Korean family. So university was always the way to go. College was never an option. And so um, it was also interesting to... Hmm. Along with strict families, they want you to go to, like, hard sciences that have, like, a high percentage of success rate. So, like, being a doctor, um, like, an orthodontist, or anything to do with, like, health sciences or, like, math. Yeah. And um, the problem that I ran to was I love those things or aspects of those things, but I wanted to mix them in with the creative side. And to me, there weren't very many programs that... Uh, dealt with that um but i think architecture was my first degree my first program that i went into and um, i thought that was like a really interesting balance between the arts and the sciences but halfway through the degree um i felt like i wasn't being true to myself which is really hard when you're moving to a new city you have all these opportunities and you feel kind of ungrateful and i guess that's kind of where the imposter syndrome comes from being that um what do i have 
to not be un, like ungrateful about. Yeah. Why why am I dealing with this situation when I kind of worked all my way up here and I'm not happy? Yeah. So asking yourself that was like a big challenge for me, but I thought it was better in the long run. So yeah, I dropped out halfway through that degree, um, went to OCAD, and uh, I'm currently in the program called Digital Futures. So I would say that's more of the digital media side of arts and science yeah, and more conceptual than something like architecture. And so during my time there, I also felt like the same hump of, okay, I'm halfway through this degree. I'm not really enjoying it either, mm. but I thought I should just like push through to get what I, where I need to go. Yeah. Um, luckily, there was this exchange program that my school hosted, and I thought it'd be a good opportunity to just apply and see what the UK schools or Asian schools were all about and yeah I got selected and um, moved to Scotland for six months that's huge not knowing anyone which was I think like a really good like personal challenge mm -hmm. um, so yeah that's where I am now finishing my final year at OCAD nice yeah so you've kind of had this huge journey and like what were your parents did your parents have like a really negative response to you going into OCAD after even like giving like, because you gave it the old university try, as it were. Mm -hmm. Was it hard? Um, there was definitely ups and downs. First, I knew that they would come through in the long run. It was just the amount of me being 100% sure that I wanted to take a different route. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't familiar with any of the schools since they only emigrated here, like, less than 30 years ago. Wow. Um, so they are just relying on me to give all the information and that's a lot of pressure for yeah. like a young 20 year old <laughs> for sure yeah but no they're pretty supportive and especially if there's that kind of push for a very specific school and specific route even into career having to put all your faith into knowing what the next best thing is when your parents don't necessarily like they're like oh this is the roadmap you should be going on when in fact there's no specific roadmap. You kind of have to figure it out as you kind of go, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's the main difference between maybe their schooling experience or maybe even anyone's that was like prior to 1990. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you went to post-secondary to obtain a job related in the degree that you went for. Yeah. Whereas here, there's a lot of options and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. No. I feel like a lot of people get... Um, overwhelmed with how many and then they just kind of go with one and like feel like that's the only thing they can continue sticking to it towards yeah which is why it was so hard to drop out being like okay i'm um i'm paying ten thousand dollars per year for this tuition um why what um what would be my options if i were to do something else like it's yeah. too late i think that mentality is so like prevalent here yeah and i think another side of that too is that idea of like you were talking about there's so many options and i think that a lot of the jobs that these programs and these degrees are setting you up for they don't exist yet or they exist and they're kind of obsolete so mm. you don't really have a, you're not like going to school to like I went to school for media production there's not like a media production job that's specifically like oh I'd like to apply to be a media productionist right <laughs> the media productionist um and then you're just sitting there with this degree that's like gathering dust in your in your room and you're just like okay I learned these skills 
But I think that at the end of the day, it's not necessarily you're preparing for a job. You're just preparing a list of skills. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you're still pulling? Because I know you're doing a lot of motion graphic and like 3D building. Do you find that you're pulling a lot from your architecture days when you're doing that? Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing everyone can take from is even if the degree is irrelevant to your practice, there's elements of it like team teamwork skills, which is like a huge um, invisible skill I think people have. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is like um like big picture thinking that's a lot what architecture is yeah you're building cities systems how how can you connect a bunch of different topics into one and be able to communicate that to a bunch of different people yeah mm -hmm. like it and it's really interesting you brought that up like the year before i went in my program you needed to have an english minor to graduate and they took it out for my year and thinking back to it now i wish i got an english minor because there's so much like you're talking about invisible skills and you're talking about transferable skills there's so much of the creative field where it's you're pitching you're creating you're you're building these backdrops for for your work and still you just don't you just don't know what you're doing mm -hmm. and so having like an english background like even just to have those skills like it would really help and i think that talking about the architecture and talking about building these 3d graphics and building these like art installations and different pieces that you've worked on and we'll talk about it in a sec mm -hmm. you have this kind of thought process where everything that you've you've lived through like even your relationship with your family with like partners and everything that all helps you on your kind of journey mm -hmm. like it's funny that this podcast was actually originally called we don't deserve a podcast and it was with uh an old girlfriend of mine mm. and it's really interesting to see that a lot of the things that carry over from that original first attempt and what worked and what didn't work and you kind of carry that over throughout your life mm -hmm. um i wanted to talk about how we met because i think that's a really interesting story for a lot of our listeners is we met in uh fitc fitc at yeah. a workshop done by uh people mike winkleman who was our season premiere um I wanted to talk to you about what that experience was like because we were in the room with like people like Sinistruct and other really amazing like people who flew in from like California mm -hmm. just for this workshop. Um, how do you find being in those situations where you have such a range of of people around you? Mm -hmm. I think it really revealed to how people learn differently. Yeah. Um, I think. I think our generation is really lucky to have lived with and without technology or like the internet. Yeah. And so, especially with motion graphics or animation, it's such a digital platform where you can learn from home just through like YouTube videos. Yeah. So that's a different type of skill that current programs don't really teach you. Yeah. So seeing people from all walks of life and different fields in one room from a guy I followed on Instagram like for a long time was um, kind of jarring but also very exciting. Yeah. And I thought the way he, that he taught was very um, like laissez-faire, like very um, do-it-your-own-way type of thing. It wasn't as like a class structure that I'm uh, familiar to yeah. post-secondary. So I thought it was a really good experience. For yeah. sure. I think it's really interesting that you brought up the kind of laissez-faire style of teaching because when we did that workshop, the whole idea was that you would be doing it every day after that. And mm -hmm. you, you are still doing your every day, right? Um, it has transformed to different forms. <laughs> so it's not just 3D animation. It's more, say, writing or illustration. But there's something that's created every day. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because I had him on the podcast and he challenged me to do 100 every days mm -hmm. and just see what happens. 
And in his words, he said, don't be a little bitch, just do it. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a pretty Politicians. crazy guy. Yeah. Um, and I'm on day 61 now, mm-hmm. and it's really, really interesting. And it's it's such a cool skill set. And I, and I do regret not doing it when we first did that class because I, I think I made it, like, only four days before I just stopped doing it. And I think that that's something that a lot of people will do. They're like, oh, like, I don't want to work on this project anymore or, like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore or that anymore. And having that sense of every day and having that sense of, like, you're working towards a bigger project is huge because that was his big point was that it's not 4,000 pieces. It's this big, huge piece that's expansive. And that's what you really have to look at it like. And that's with any work is if you look, if you get stuck down with the minutia of it, you're never going to get anything done. Mm-hmm. I think for me, there's like parts of the every days that I can relate to. Yeah. I do believe there's strength in small but consistent steps to get to a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. But I think personally, uh, being okay with not fulfilling that one task is okay. Yeah. I think there's a lot of the mental health aspect with like everyday practice that um, speaks to everyone differently. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that that's what I've been like. So when you asked me if I continued the hundred days, like, yeah, in some ways. But, yeah. Um, but well, yeah. it's it's a crazy thing. Like, so I was talking to, and this will be a later episode. Um, someone who's with a Canadian opera company, and we we're talking about how like you prep for stress, like how you deal with stress, and like me personally, like everyone's like, oh, you should do yoga before like something big so you can calm down. But it's like that's opportunity for me to overthink it, like because yep. you're 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 basically like emptying your mind, and it's like what is it going to be filled with? It's going to be filled with your anxieties. So with me, I like to keep it busy and keep fulfilled and keep working through things like I'd much rather go for like a run or like a bike ride or something like that where I like more like high impact Mm. in that situation Mm. and so I wanted to talk to you about that is like because you've been working on the thesis and we'll go into specifics in a sec do you find yourself how what what tools are you giving yourself so you're not overwhelmed by the amount of work that you have to do Mm. honestly it's been friendships and I know that sounds kind of cliche, but having people that are outside of your academic circle or your um, your career path, mm-hmm. because that allows you to be able to talk and explain about your work in such a niche lens, it, it allows to someone who is not familiar with your work is such a good opportunity to reassess how you see yourself. Yeah. And I would hope that everyone's practice has a bit of like their personal life into it. Mm-hmm. But it really gives you perspective on people being like, why are you stressing out about this? Or like, oh, that sounds amazing. You're like, oh, really? Yeah, because it's, like, it's like when you're talking <laughs> to other people in your in your like program or in your like industry, it doesn't seem like sincere because they'd want basically the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talked about this on the podcast is like I have an improv background and there are so many times where you do a show and the only people in the audience are either improvisers or people mm. who are in the show or in my case, my parents. Uh, <laughs> um, I, that's something that I think is really you, you, you touched on just really, really good is like you want to build a support system of people who are going through different different issues and going mm. through different things so you can help them and they can help you kind of thing and you build that kind mm. of trust. That's another emphasis. Emphasis, like as much as people are supporting you, you should also support them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that uh, on our another episode, which was about um, mentorship. Like mm. you want to be able to give 
your mentor something in return like not necessarily physical but like you want to you want to give back to the community you want to help it uh, and kind of like have that back and forth mm -hmm. and even if it's not immediate mm -hmm. say like a skillshare or like a trading off something it could be like two years down the road or 10 years um because you never know if you want to start something like a podcast or maybe make a film in the future. You yeah. need a lot of hands to help you um, pursue that project. Yeah. And if you if you and we were talking about this, it's like if you can build yourself a group of people who are really passionate, and actually just care about you. That's the biggest thing. Like I I would much rather have a group of people. I'd much rather be OK at a lot of things so I can help other people out than being mm. really good at something and then not having a connection with a group really? of people yeah you'd rather be like a generalist than a specialist well and here's the issue is i am a generalist i am the most generalist person that i think you'll probably meet because my skill set is so vague mm. and all over the place and would it make my life so much easier if i was really good at editing and nothing else mm. yes because then i could get jobs but the great thing with this is if i have someone who is in high school and is stressed about university and they're like i need to make my demo reel i need to do this this and this i'm like okay great I can help you make a logo. I can help you make a demo reel. I can help you go out and film. Let's do this. I have a background in storytelling. Let's make this happen. Mm -hmm. I'm helping out with the uh, with the uh, Catholic school board right now with a grant on um, teaching kids how to tell stories about recycling and being better for the environment. And it's really interesting to see these like grade 10s and 11s already thinking about like, I want to do this, this, and this with my life. I want to go into these experiences. And I think that because I'm a generalist, I can fill in the gaps. Mm, I see. Connect the dots. Exactly. Connect the dots. But you're totally right. I mean, personally, if it would be a lot easier to be very specific, and I've found that through the everyday, is like, I'm not necessarily great at 3D graphics. I don't think it's going to be my career, but... It's still a fun process. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of a fun process, I wanted to talk to you about your thesis. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell just the audience like a little bit about what you're hoping to gain from it and what kind of questions you're hoping to answer? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of in its second stage right now. I started in September. But it's talking about how diasporic people, which can be anyone from... Say someone like me who's born in Canada, but both my parents are from South Korea. So there's that like distance in culture, this in-betweenness. So it can be anyone like that. How diasporic people navigate through their online and offline spaces. And by online, I mean, well, it could be anything digital-wise, like the internet. And offline would mean more like physical. So mm -hmm. how do those two identities merge? Are there differences? And how do people um, go about doing that? And how, um, so you started in September and you've kind of been just working through it. Do you, f have you found that it's been really tough because it's so close to you or, or is it more easy because it's something that you've kind of been going through or is there kind of both sides of it? Yeah, I definitely think there's sides of column A and column B, mm -hmm. but I think for the most part, it's been pretty difficult because you have to really dig into yourself. And again, it's always being true to yourself and asking these questions. Is this truly how i feel about it yeah and it's not just one moving part either like how someone perceives an instance or trauma it's it's interpreted differently so having multiple angles from other people's perspective is really important um i also realize like digging into my cultural history there's a lot of pieces that i'm not familiar with yeah and i think going about that on your own time is really important and i think 
because it's a big project. It's a mm-hmm. very broad topic, and I think a lot of people can relate it to. But being as specific as you can on your own time has been really helpful for me. And it, it really helps you build almost like a self-identity with it. Yeah, yeah. That's why this project is so, like, personal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it's it's funny. Like, so I I'm a, I'm of the I'm my background is Italian, and mm-hmm. so like it's very not necessarily exactly the same, but very similar. Where there is this huge focus on uh, respect and and the culture and the family, and there's a lot of uh, people who I know who like they they are they're so blown away by the fact that family is so important. Um, I wanted to talk to you about kind of the heritage of that and having this almost responsibility of creating this do you find like a, you have a responsibility to kind of tell the story of this kind of generation in this kind of situation hmm. hmm honestly so when i was living in glasgow which is a super caucasian or white yeah <laughs> white um pop- population uh the racism i experienced there was so different than in north america oh and um, it, it's not necessarily like a bad or good thing. It was just an observation. And I realized that I could be the only, like the first Asian person uh, they have ever experienced. Yeah. And I have to take that with a grain of salt because there's some instances where people are like, racism is, is a taught uh, attitude. Yeah. And based around your surroundings, if you're not uh, exposed to certain things, then that's just the way that they want to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, Wait, what was the question? <laughs> the question was, do you find a responsibility with the work mm. that you're making? Yeah, so there's times where I'm... I always felt like I needed to, like, educate everyone on those instances. Yeah. And But then I realized um, I'm in their territory in some ways. So I have to kind of pick my battles. Yeah. And I think my project itself speaks louder in that context because people... Mm, because it shows it in a way where it's not like you're trying to teach someone something. You're just kind of telling them your story. Yeah. So in in my case, I think it's really helping me understand the cultural difference between my parents and I. Yeah. Through artwork, through design and storytelling, which is kind of sharing the responsibility for everyone, but also doing it on my own terms. Yeah. I've always felt pressure being like the token Asian in the friend group or something. It's like... There's this one Asian joke that I didn't really sit well with, but it wasn't a big deal. It's like, do I have to put myself up in that situation to be like, hey, guys, actually, (laughs) you know, Um, but I think there's other methods of doing that. Well, it's crazy Mm -hmm. because it's like I I'm a big part of the queer community. Mm -hmm. um, And that's another thing where you want to pick your battles. And that's another situation. I think that everyone has those situations where there's some part of their life where there's something that makes rubs them the wrong way and and the worst is when you're with your group of friends because you kind of have that situation where it's like is this worth causing this adversion this like Mm. this like rift in our friendship being like hey i don't like when you call me that or i don't like when you say those things and they're like oh no it's just but everyone says it and then you run into that issue of like it's like showing versus telling it's like I'm going to show you how this affects me. I'm not going to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. I just want you to come to that. You hope that your friends will come to that conclusion or the people you work with will come to that conclusion on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so because you're creating this this piece and, and this kind of overarching story, like what kind of mediums are you using to show this? Because I'm really curious about how, do, how you actually will kind of present this to the audience. Mm-hmm. 
So right now I have part one of the animation down, and okay. I'm using a lot of like 3D modeling and captioning. Mm -hmm. So writing, I would say, is one of my weaknesses. And so being able to use like poetry or even text-based work to guide my visuals is a very different uh, form for me. Okay. So that's what I have complete right now. But recently I've been thinking about my childhood and a big influence was dance. And this was like a very casual thing from just what I watched on TV. But I really would want to pursue performance art. Oh, wow. And um, I'm right in like in the midst of right now trying to find like a Korean composer to do some live music while I perform with my animations projected onto me. Wow, that'll be, mm -hmm. that'll be really cool. So Thanks. like I think that it's really interesting because you're using like 3D mapping and... Um, 3d design and all these other like in poems and stuff like that you really are creating this expansive like world so people mm -hmm. can really get immersed in not necessarily the culture but the the structure that you have to go through and the the kind of the rigmarole of of going through and what a lot of people are going through because it's not just your story it's stories of countless other people who are second generation mm -hmm. it's also an overarching theme of trying to fit in mm -hmm. right like where do i belong and um uh how do i find these people as well yeah mm -hmm. i think that you talked about building that support system and I think that creating art like this and creating these visuals, you do really give a support system where it's like, hey, I'm not alone in my feelings with this. And I've been thinking about it a lot as wanting to create an interactive piece on the imposter syndrome because I think that a lot of people feel it but don't mm -hmm. talk about it and didn't don't even know what the term is because I think that mm -hmm. people who either people who know what it is are like, oh, I totally feel that. But people who don't know, they're like, oh, that does sound like something that I go through and they might not even say it in the moment they might like message me later being like hey i've been thinking a lot about what you said mm. like i do go through that do you find that when because you're creating this piece that has such gravity to it do you find that the imposter syndrome hits a lot more because it's like i'm not i shouldn't be responsible for telling the story i don't think it's my job to do it but no one else is so i kind of have to and then you have that anxiety kind of build up or mm, it's not so much that I'm, I don't feel like I'm the right person. I definitely believe I'm the right person because of the feelings of like isolation and um, cult cultural differences. It's more so that it's a way of survival. Yeah. Like um, going back to like getting your networks. I think that's the beauty of art and how we can reach people in different ways is that you start kind of alone with this issue you think that no one else can relate to. You express it in a way that speaks to some people that creates more of a network, commun communication between both ends being like, I relate to you on this end. Hopefully the artist and them themselves create their own work to spread even more. And that's when like systems kind of come into place where your networks are just expanded and how maybe certain songs are still like timeless to this day, certain movies, certain animations. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I definitely feel like I think also with this like wave of representation that's happening in the in the past couple of years, um, the fact that you feel like it's your time, yeah, that should be your calling. That should be the first step to being like I'm the right person to say this. And I think that that's really interesting that you brought up the idea of like it's your time because I think that that's something even if you're not like making something that's very specifically personal to you, but if you're creating anything at all, I think that a lot of people who are going through the imposter syndrome saying like oh it's not my time there's other people who are doing it better than me i'm gonna hold back and then when it's my time to do it mm -hmm. and i think that apprehension is what causes a lot of really amazing art to not even be made or not mm -hmm. even be seen there's 
people who have countless and countless ideas and notebooks and on their computer that will never see the light of day because of this anxiety, because of this imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very similar to feeling when um, a lot of YouTubers that I follow are making their podcasts mm -hmm. and I'm listening to them and I follow them for a long time, but they still had like this idea of success or they looked very successful and passionate towards their project. Yeah. And to hear them go through similar things that I'm going through, it's like, okay, I can't compare. It's not fair for me to compare someone like that. Someone I don't even know because it, I don't know. It's just a very competitive society, yeah. um, especially in the creative world. And the only person you should really be comparing to is like your old self. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like that whole idea of like, you should always be pushing yourself to do more. Like every, I love the analogy that every year should be your best year. Mm. And you continue. And even if it's not, you should strive for that goal mm -hmm. because if you don't, then you lose faith in yourself, you lose momentum, you lose speed. And I think that it's a double-edged sword because of anxiety and because of depression, because of mental illness and because of all these things people have to go through is it's so easy to become overwhelmed. It's mm -hmm. so easy to be overwhelmed with yourself. If like, even if you take everyone else in the equation, you're like, I went to New York during the summer. What have I done this month? Like, what are you doing with yourself? Like mm -hmm. you just have this, 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 and this, and you're just sitting there and you're like in your head and you're overthinking, overthinking, and then nothing's getting done. But if you look at yourself with this kind of sense of like open, like I'm going to just create and whatever happens, happens, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are overwhelmed with the result being the end goal, mm -hmm. whereas the process is more important than whatever is out like outputted. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's what something something I try to follow is that it's like. Okay, I, I let myself get overwhelmed for a little bit. Yeah. Thinking about all these projects that I want to uh, fulfill. Yeah. Um, I let myself get overwhelmed for a few minutes, and then I think to myself, no one can create this in a day. Even the most talented people cannot. They need a dream team. They need help and support from other people. Yeah. So I'm just going to, like have this section complete today and if i don't it's okay and i think that goes back to the everyday where it's like it doesn't mm -hmm. have to necessarily be the same thing every single day it can be a process today i'm gonna do this mm -hmm. i got it done or maybe i didn't and yeah. it's just a part of the journey and it's a part of the the adventure that you go on i think the value of an everyday and the value of doing something like that is if you don't have that passion but if mm -hmm. you have a passion for something if you're excited about something sometimes that structure is going to really mess with you. It's going to really mm. set you up for failure because if you don't get something done, then you look at that day like a failure. And then it's like, well, I don't want to do it the next day because last day went was so poorly. But sometimes it's okay not having a goal. Yeah. Like, um, just have just going by feeling is totally fine. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because even with the everydays, you, you kind of just look at the stats and be like, okay, this was the one I spent like five hours on. I hope everyone feels the same way. Oh my God, right? that's my biggest thing is the one I made in 15 minutes is the most liked out of anything and it kills me. To, it's a jar. It's a jar with a light in it. Get off of this. Mm -hmm. I spent four hours making Hoth. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's so true. It's so, so true. Um... I wanted to talk to you about creating art and as like a visible minority and like how have you found it being like a really like big roadblock, especially in Toronto or are you you using it to your advantage? Like it's kind of a weird mm -hmm. question to ask. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really think about it too much. I don't want to like, let that get to me mm -hmm. um, because I, f I feel like if. 
the story should reign true to anyone if it relates to them, like despite who you are as a yeah. person. Yeah. As a, I mean, as a like, um, what ethnicity or gender or race you are. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's really interesting because I was talking to there was kind of like a big rift in the queer community a little while ago, and we're, I'm not gonna go into uh, specifics with it, but basically just people were taking advantage of of their their power in the situation that they were in. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because for a while I put the fact that I'm like a queer or I'm a bisexual creator on my Instagram. I still think I have it up actually. And it feels so weird that I have to put that on there, but I know that I kind of do because I know that a lot of people will be like, Hey, I want to work with people in the queer community. But then that runs into the other issue of where it's like, Oh, I don't want to work with straight people or I don't want to work with people oh. who are Sith and then or Sith. <laughs> I don't want to work with the Sith. Okay. I'm Jedi only. Um, no, but like Sith. Um, and I think that runs into even bigger issues because you, you end up splitting the community and mm. it's, sh- everyone should be, we're not there yet. We're not at a place where everyone is supportive of everyone. And it's sad that we're not, but it's just the truth. And I wanted to talk to you about that. Do you find that you have to, like, work harder to build these communities? Um, like, the like like because you've been working and creating art for so long. Do you find that it's easier or harder to build these communities now versus, like, five or six years ago? Hmm. I wouldn't say it's more difficult. It's definitely hard to find niche things or niche communities. Yeah. But it's more so about, um, hmm. I don't know. It's hard, right? Because yeah. it's, it's, it's very different. I find that there's a, I hate using the term flaky, but there's a flakiness to creation these days mm-hmm. where you f- you you really have all these people who are super passionate like yeah i'd love to work on it and then nothing Mm. really comes of it Mm. and i think that's where a lot of the issues come from and then that's where it's like oh i can't work with the like the last four people i've worked with have done this and it's just like i don't know like i don't really want to work on these projects anymore you want to move to something else but then you lose this really great project you're working on like Mm. it's this interesting kind of double-edged sword of like wanting to create art but also wanting to create these like relationships with people and if people don't put in the effort like you don't want to be putting all the work in and they're just Mm -hmm. kind of coming along for the ride Mm -hmm. it's really tough Hmm. honestly it's like for me i just talk about it to literally everyone i see Mm -hmm. and then see how they relate to it then sometimes through that conversation it sparks an idea um but yeah, it is kind of hard, like, for for example, I'm working for, like, a spe- I want a Korean composer. Yeah. And I feel bad that I'm, like, eliminating other people. But it's also allowed me to be more critical of the media that I consume. Yeah. Like, sometimes it's this idea of, um, especially with TV shows, like, which characters do I usually find attractive or do yeah. I relate to? And, and being more critical of the background and who designed that type of story mm-hmm. is um, is what's kind of opening my eyes right now. Yeah, and I think that that's a great great point to jump off of is you can you can build this kind of like love and appreciation for a certain group of people and so on and so forth, but at the end of the day, you want to look at it art subjectively. You want to be like does this do I like this more because it's someone who 
I can I can like uh, get have a rapport with, mm. or is it because I like the the art of it specifically? And I think that it's hard. You shouldn't really have to split it apart, but every once in a while you have to take a step back and be like, is this subjectively better to me, mm. or is it because it's taking off a box? You know what though? It's like. But we've had so many years of being, like, hidden, like, put in the closet or, like, put yeah. in the shadows. You should never feel like you're taking up space for representing who you are, how no. you want it. No. Right? So, yeah, I wouldn't say, like, you're dividing a community. You're just being more specific with what you're looking for. And that sparks conversation. Because on being on both ends, there's been times where, like, oh, like, they're not Korean or, like, oh, they're not Asian. But maybe they know other people with that and that still sparks a conversation being like oh I actually do work in this area and I think people are just hesitant on communicating or like uh, sparking the conversation and asking questions and it's a spark it's mm-hmm. totally a spark because I think that's the whole point of a lot of like theses that I've seen come out of OCAD or other schools where mm-hmm. it's more of an art direction is you're just trying to spark a conversation just trying to spark a change really because something that is you've gone through hasn't really been talked about Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing with this podcast it's the same thing with a lot of art that you see these days is people are just trying to get their representation out there and represent something that they feel passionate about Mm -hmm. and And, that's that's a-okay that's mm -hmm. all you really need (laughs) yeah um so i guess the the another question i want to ask you is about the the thesis like when did you actually start like when did you start having the idea like when did it start kind of come to fruition Mm -hmm. i think the biggest thing for me was visiting korea for the first time last summer Mm -hmm. or was it two summers ago man time is just so it's weird yeah quickly anyway one summer i went to korea with my family and it was such like there's parts of living in like a Korean household, there's things that you pick and choose from the culture you relate to. Yeah. But there's also things that you just cannot avoid living with. Yeah. Until you knew, until you explain this to someone who's never been exposed to that, and you realize, oh, I'm the different one. Yeah. So I came with a very like um, open mind, being like, there's definitely gonna be culture shock, but I'm gonna be open to anything that comes my way. And so I came in, and I realized that. Um, despite me looking Korean, I wasn't fitting in. Like, I was getting even more stares than I would say in Toronto. And that was, like, at first very, like, daunting to me. Um, Also, like, the language. Like, there's just so many things I didn't realize that I was so different. Yeah. I would always just say things like, say, like, white people would talk about, like, okay, I'm not white, so I don't relate to that. That's just kind of, like, an excuse. It's like, I'm more Korean. And then when you go to Korea, it's like, wait, I'm not Korean, so, like, where do I stand between? Yeah. So that was the first instance of doing that, and um, I had to kind of take some time to, like, uh, recuperate from that trip because it was just so overwhelming. Yeah. And then once I came back to school, being like, what topic would you like to talk about? It's like, okay, it's definitely my cultural identity, and that trip kind of, like, jump-started that thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that that moment, everyone has that kind of snap where it's like, this is something that's really important. This mm-hmm. is something that needs to be said that isn't being said. Um, so when you got back from the trip and you you kind of like had a moment to like recuperate and think about everything, was there, I guess, was there this moment of like, this is something that I really, really need to do, not only for myself, but for my community? Or was it more for yourself at first and then you, you realized the importance of it? Um, it was more so myself. Mm-hmm. being that I never wanted to experience that again. Um, but it was also 
kind of like the deterioration between my relationship with my parents. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, they just don't really agree with like my tattoos. Yeah. And that's like a huge taboo within itself. Mm-hmm. And me thinking about like uh, pursuing a career in tattooing has also been what struck this conversation within myself. Yeah. Um, I think it's also indicative of hiding parts of yourself when you're a child to fit in. Then once you have the freedom to do whatever you want and also not fitting in, it's like, okay, there's something that I need to fix here. There's something I need to really dig deep in to and um, try to understand. So I think there's like a bit of that. Do you think about your parents and your relationship with your parents a lot during? Have you been thinking about that a lot during the process? Like, is it kind of fueling the, the importance of it? Yeah, like literally every day. Because <laughs> you see this, and it's just so interesting because people immigrate here for the American dream. Yeah. Like I know we're still in Canada, but still North America generally. It's a dream, yeah. Yeah, and so there's like uh, like um, uh, mom, dad, one or two kids, a dog, a nice house. There's these like social order steps that you need to take to yeah. achieve it. And it's like, why am I so ungrateful or questioning or like sad that I can't relate to any of this when they've come here for me yeah so i think that's also a privilege that my parents generation and me my generation have because we they will never experience this cultural identity crisis yeah they would experience something more so like a political uh post korea war like like being able to have the privilege to pursue something creative just because you're interested in it is something that they would never have no yeah Yeah. and i think that that goes back to something that you you mentioned earlier is this isn't specifically yes it's through the lens of your family and your journey but it's not something that's specific to your culture like that's that's something that a lot of families Mm -hmm. have to go through and a lot of families have to deal with still like I have so many of my like cousins and stuff like that where there's a very specific route that they were supposed to take and mm-hmm. they're not on that and their parents like hate them for it and it's it's so saddening that it still happens and I'm so grateful that my parents have been so supportive of my creative like kind of endeavors but there's still moments where they're like oh your brother's in computer engineering mm. Like the fact that my brother's going to get out of a university degree and probably be making 60K a year, that's something that I couldn't do mm-hmm. unless I got really lucky or unless I had an outside connection that kind of built it. Or unless I, I'm, I can't say that because if I worked really hard, if, if you work really hard, but it's that kind of process of like there is this path that people expect you to take and then there's the creative path and then there's the business path and you have all these just intersections of what if I did this what if I did this and if you look at life like that you never really are going to experience what you want because you're living in that past like we were talking about your biggest critique is your past your your past self Mm -hmm. so I guess is there anything that you can give to like any advice you can give to someone who is kind of having that anxiety and and having going through that kind of inner turmoil with it is there any advice you can give them Mm -hmm. i would say staying this this sounds so cheesy but really staying true to yourself if there's any inkling or discomfort that you feel with the critique that other people say your friends family are giving you that that in itself that feeling is the starting point Mm -hmm. ask yourself why you're feeling these things are you not being heard do you feel like the way you're communicating isn't being respected yeah and then try to find ways of expressing that and um and don't be afraid to just say how you're really feeling yeah because these thoughts occupy my mind all the time and it's really hard to hide something that you think about every day 
So that also opens a floodgate of someone else's experience that may be relevant to you and finding the tools and the right words to describe that. Yeah, and I think a big thing with that is, and just kind of jumping off that, is that asking, like questioning everything. Mm-hmm. Question why you feel this way. Question why the fact that the term straight-facing is still a term that people use is beyond me. What does that mean? It basically, you look straight. Mm. And so it's like, oh, like, I'm more straight-facing today. It's like, mm. no, just be yourself. Like, if you want to wear a dress, if you want to, like, live your best life, like... I remember going to, like, Pride this year, and then my mom, like, hey, we're going to my Nona's, and I'm like, okay, well, you have to bring me a change of clothes and, like, get all my makeup off and, like, Mm -hmm. everything, and then I go there, and then I went back and put everything back on, and it's just, like, that's ridiculous. Like, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to hide myself from my family, but at the end of the day, it's, like, picking your battles, like we were talking about earlier. It's, like, is it worth making someone not like you just because you have to, you're just going to be, like, a little bit over the top or, like, a little more flamboyant? And then that's a good question because maybe maybe it's not worth it. Maybe mm. it is worth it. It's mm-hmm. it's your own journey. It's your own kind of path. Yeah, and I think your time is um, is valuable. Like the emotional um, the emotional stress that you get to try to please everyone, you're not going to. So yeah. might as well please yourself. <laughs> might as well please yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- we're like running out of time, but mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you one last question because we kind of talked about like some tips for that. Any tips for someone specifically in regards to the imposter syndrome? For someone who's having that anxiety, that perfectionism, and that fear of failure? Any mm-hmm. any tips for, for helping someone kind of get out of that? Like, mm-hmm. what works for you if that helps? Um, a lot of my favorite artists tell me that, like, the first... Um, 10 years of your uh, creative career you're gonna be creating a lot of shit yeah <laughs> and so the way that one of my favorite um, muralists lolo is um she said to just like um like i should just put everything out there now you know get all of that shitty work out of the way and then start making really good work mm-hmm. so i think there's something about like everyday practice or just like production level no matter how much you feel about it just get it out of your system yeah just get that quantity out of there mm-hmm. because it's really not about failing like i think that definition and it, like that word has such a negative connotation because failure usually leads to lessons learned and then you become better and not do it again yeah you know there is a stigma so, around the word failure yeah mm-hmm. So just produce, no matter how people, like, react to it. Like, definitely take it with a grain of salt, but it's about your practice and your journey getting there. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all a process. I think, yeah, enjoy the process, I think, is a great thing to to think about. Uh, and then the last thing is talk to us what's the next stage for your for your um for your thesis like what Mm -hmm. what are what are the dates we should look forward to um this should be coming out sometime in january february oh okay yeah um so we'll have my show my uh work will be showcased at grad x which is the annual exhibition at ocad university so that'll be the first weekend of may okay um around like three different buildings so yeah, just be on the lookout for Anna Kim at uh, OCAD University for the first week of May. And yeah. if someone wants to follow you on Instagram or social media, what, what mm-hmm. how can they reach out to you? And if they wanted to collaborate with you as well, how, how can mm-hmm. people reach out to you? Yeah, the best way to reach out to me is through Instagram. Um, so my account name is F-O-N-G-K-I-K-I-D. Funky kid. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I uh, hope you have an amazing time on here. I love mm-hmm. chatting with us, and I look forward to seeing your thesis. Yeah. Uh, I just want to do a quick shout out. 
Thank you so much to Studio 876 for uh, putting us up here. Uh, they're amazing if you want to do audio recording, video, uh, anything, the whole nine yards. They're really awesome right downtown Toronto. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Anything that people can, that you're, that you're excited for coming up in the new year? Any cool work that you're looking into? Um, long Winter? Yeah. Yeah, January 11th. Okay, well, definitely uh, I'll link Long Winter. They're, <laughs> they do some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much.